1: Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nellie Galan. Let's get started. Terry Rice, you're a wow guy. You're a guy that's created a business for yourself. You're a business consultant. You're a staff writer at Entrepreneur Magazine. But like, how you started is so smart. I mean, When I look at everything that I've learned from you, I think you're really like an optimizer. You know how to take everything and just make the best of it and the most of it. And I don't see, you know, I'm Latina and I look at a guy like you and I go, how refreshing to see a guy that looks like me that is teaching us how to brand and how to do everything when ordinarily that's not the kind of person that that we see trying to teach us how to do all this stuff. So I'm just, first of all, honored and I'm so proud of you. Uh, and of everything that you've learned, and you teach, and that you, that you're so committed. Like you know, I say that I love to teach what I know, and I love to learn from other people what they know. And I'm so committed to growth in my life, and clearly so are you. So thank you so much for being here with me.
0: Thanks. I feel amazing just from that intro. So so I appreciate it. Thanks.
1: <laughs> so I wanted I wanted to start where you started, working in these corporations, really teaching from within the corporation. I think so many young people are in a job in a corporation and they go, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want want to get out of here. And I always tell them the the opportunity is under your nose. Look at it and figure out, like, what can you do? And you did exactly that. So tell us about how you started doing that and figured out what you really were supposed to be doing
0: yeah, it's it's interesting because, like a lot of people, I wanted to climb the corporate ladder because that seemed like a good idea. That's what I saw my dad do. He um he fought in Vietnam and then he worked at a tech company for like forty years after that. So I was like, okay, that's the that's the example that's laid out for me. Yeah, but it's interesting. when I got into the corporate world, I felt almost guilty for not enjoying it as much as I wanted to or thought as much as I thought I would because I remember one time I'm looking around and thought to myself, I don't want my manager's job. I don't want my job. I don't want anyone's job here. And it's because I wasn't fulfilled. It's because I was almost more of an order taker as opposed to a creator or a producer or an innovator. And once I realized that, I said to myself, okay, I have to be in a position where I'm helping people, where I'm building people, where I'm challenged on a regular basis. And that's how I eventually became an internal consultant at companies such as Adobe and Facebook. And it was amazing because I was never bored. I mean, you never knew what client you're going to work with, what challenges they have. And that forces you to challenge yourself as well. So I kept on growing Mm -hmm. as opposed to feeling like a cog in the wheel. So that's how I got started with that part where I'm teaching people and empowering people.
1: But how about the part where you realized, oh, my God, all these companies uh, have all these contracts for outsourced people to do this stuff. And I I think, you know, in today's world, I guess that's called supplier diversity, but for me too like I, I realized being in a corporation myself and kind of hating it uh, and realizing I, I that I wasn't jealous of anybody in that corporation which is always I think it's a negative that's a positive because then you go oh there's something to strive for but I realized oh my god these people outsource so many things that's an opportunity for me to build a business and you did just that
0: yeah but you know what I took too long and I'll tell you why because <laughs> I started working at Adobe in 2009. And one time I saw one of my contracts that the the client signed, I was billing out at $300 per hour. However, I was not getting paid anywhere near $300 an hour, but I knew in my head I'm worth at least $300 an hour because someone's paying that. And I want to start my own business where I'm getting that $300 an hour. Unfortunately, I was too comfortable because I was making six figures, there was cool snacks in the office, all that stuff. So I didn't leave as early as I should have, but then around 2015... That's when my first uh, child was on the way. My daughter, Lena, uh, was on the way. And at this point, I'm working at at Facebook. And the the culture there was pretty challenging. I mean, it was great, but you're incentivized to get there early because there's free breakfast and stay late because there's free dinner. So I'm getting home at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night at times. And I'm like, there's no way I can actually have a family if I'm going to go this route. But I remember what I told myself when I was at Adobe. You can do this. People are already paying $300 an hour just to talk to you now go do it yourself so that's really what gave me the push to go off onto onto entrepreneurship
1: wow so once you did it what like how did you actually do it how did you go from you know a very safe situation with a kid i mean which for some people that's the excuse i can't do it because my kid so you you were motivated by your kid to go do this so how did you do that how did you actually make
0: the leap very poorly I did a horrible job. Horrible job. <laughs> and really, that's what I want to help people avoid. And I'll go deeper. So my daughter's a newborn at this time. And I don't remember a lot of her early, let's say her first year, because I was just worried all the time. I was there physically every day. I'm there as a parent and as a father. But I was just worried about my business, because I felt strongly that that my business, the success of my business was going to impact whether or not my daughter had a good life, right? So I'm under all this stress, all this pressure, and felt foolish because, again, for years I worked in corporate, right? I'm at Adobe, I'm at Facebook. Beyond that, I have an MBA, right? I have a business degree. Yet I realized there's a big difference between being good at your job and actually knowing how to run a business, right? So for the first 18 months, I struggled, I was confused, I wasn't charging nearly enough, and it was tough. But what I finally did is I stopped working in my business, and took a step back to work on my business and learned from mentors, Mm. both real ones that I talk to every day, and remote ones where I'm reading their books, following them on social media, so on and so forth. And that's when I learned the actions, tools, and mindset needed to be successful. But it's funny, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. If someone had just sat down with me for an hour when I first started, I would have avoided years of frustration, of lost revenue, Mm -hmm. of just this, this, this anxiety. And that's why you can probably hear my voice. I'm desperately trying to help people avoid that Mm -hmm. because, yeah, it's going to be challenging, but it doesn't have to be so confusing.
1: So so let's go there because you talk a lot about being, I love it, solopreneur and the difficulty of that. And one of the things I love that you say is, listen, first of all, you have to have clarity. What the hell are you doing? And you also talk about let's let's not let's not go so deep. What are you good at? What are your skills? And I, I I think that coming from entertainment, where everybody has like grandiosity and everybody like maybe you're good at this and this, but you're like I want to be this over here, when maybe you've never done that. And I'm and I always say to people, what the hell are you good at? And you talk about this in spades.
0: Yeah, yeah. So one of my favorite quotes by Albert Einstein is. If you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to live its whole life thinking <laughs> it's stupid. It's really good. And unfortunately, many people that are trapped in the corporate world are literally that fish out of water, right? They're like, how come I'm not getting these things? How come you know Kelly keeps on getting promoted and I'm not? So what I help people do is identify their zone of genius. The tasks- work Yes, related- I
1: love that. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's the, the work-related tasks that you're good at and enjoy. So I have an exercise where you'd walk through- and more or less do an audit of your career. You're going to write down every single job you've had and all the associated tasks, and then identify which of those that you excel at and you enjoy. That's your zone of genius. And that's what you can do as a solopreneur as well.
1: That is just so great to to even name it, because everybody is good at something. Everybody can teach something. And yet, we all sometimes get stuck in like, some weird fantasy about what we think we should do when really we we have no business doing that you know i'm i sit on boards of companies now and in fact yesterday i was telling someone this one employee you have is a great person in the wrong role Mm -hmm. and but but that person wanted to be in that role and i'm thinking to myself they have no clue so just identifying and you talk a lot about clarity what is it that you're doing What's, you know, how do you really become a solo? To become a great solopreneur, you have to have a clear mission statement and know what your purpose is. Can you talk about yeah, that?
0: Yeah, that's the deep work that is hard. It's that deep personal work.
1: It's like therapy. It's therapy. Yeah, I
0: mean, <laughs> I think there's there probably are people who offer this service like therapy to help you figure out what the hell you want to do. Um, but, but that's what it is. And when I ask people, like, what is your personal philosophy, right? What is the vision you have for your life? They often don't have one. And I'm like, well, how are you running a business when you don't have any like first principles that guide you, right? Because things are going to change, but your core values, your morals, your ethics, your mission shouldn't. And, but if you don't go through that deep work, then you're in trouble. So I'd ask people, okay, well, if you wanted to define your vision first, what does your life look like if it's the perfect day, right? Let's say it's five years out. What are you doing first thing in the morning? Uh, what kind of work are you doing? What are you doing on the weekends? How are you seen in the media by your peers? Like really write that down. And then you can reverse engineer the steps needed to do that, right? So what would that person, that future me be doing right now to live there, right? And you can almost superimpose your life on top of that. Okay, I'm getting closer and closer to it. You know, I can see that house right there. It's not there yet, but I know it's going to be there. Because as you know, there's two parts of your brain, right? There's the doing brain and the thinking brain. But the uh, the doing brain only does what the thinking brain's thinking about. So if you don't have this vision to build this new neural pathways for you to even think about, you're in trouble. So I would say you start there with the vision and then you're going to build a life around that vision. The other part is having a personal philosophy, right? These are the words, the thoughts that guide your actions and they should be core to you and represent you at your best. So my, my personal philosophy is that I am powered by legacy. And by that, I mean the legacy that my father and my, my mother have left me because my dad, like I said, he grew up dirt poor on a farm and gradu- and, and, and actually retired as a VP at Xerox. Uh, my mom worked at FBI and for the FBI after growing up dirt poor in North Carolina. So again, we're all growing up poor and then they're all growing up poor and doing very well. That's the legacy that was given to me. But I also want to carry that on to my children as well. And I think about legacy, not how will I be remembered, but what can I do right now to earn the right to be remembered in that way? Because I think sometimes when people think about legacy, it's all about the end game. No, you're living it right now. You're living your legacy, right? So take Mm -hmm. those steps uh, that you need to do. But it's really that. I mean, I'm making it sound simple, but it's freaking hard.
1: It's hard. No, it's hard. It's hard. And it's hard also because we don't realize, I think, you know, I come from communist Cuba, right? And so I don't think we even realize that we have the privilege of even having these thoughts, right? Some people, some kids grow up in countries where you're told what you're going to study. You're told what you're going to be based on some tests you take. And the fact that we have the ability to even think this way. And if we don't do it, it's almost like a waste of all that we've been given. You know, I, I took my son to Israel for his college graduation. And he goes, mom, we're going to Israel. Like I go, trust me, you're going to love it. And we, I said, that's where all these empires have started and fallen. And it's good for you to see that, you know, And we went there and we spent a day with the military and the guy from the military said to my son, you know, our purpose here is to provide and protect women and children and to make sure that that flag is protected. And like my son goes, we don't talk like that in in the United States and I go, Lucas, that's the point of life is to have a purpose and a mission. And sometimes it's not grandiosity. It's like having kids and taking care of them and being a good parent. And all those things that we we forget are just very important as part of our mission statement, as you say. And it you talk a lot about your kids. And uh, I hear you a lot talk about, you know, your three kids and what you want for them and how that pushes you. And you know, I I hear a lot of women saying that, but I don't hear a lot of guys saying that.
0: Well, thanks, thanks, and it's actually four kids. Um, so they you have
1: four? Yeah. I must have heard a thing when you had three. You're you're like my kid. He goes, I want to crank out a lot of kids. Yeah, well, I'm
0: done. But um, but it, let's let's talk about that because <laughs> as an entrepreneur, it's easy to think having kids is is an impediment, right? It's they're expensive and they take up your time. But it's funny. Just this month, I was reflecting on that because I was looking at my daycare bill just for two of my kids and it was $4,800. And I'm like,
1: come on, I can't
0: believe I'm paying $4,800 just to be able to go to work. So yes, I was frustrated. But I said, you know what, I have the ability to easily make an extra $4,800 because I'm an entrepreneur. So what I did is I organized this workshop where I teach you how to build a perfect offer for your business. I said, look, there's eight spots available. It's $600. If you eight times six is $4,800. That's how I'm paying my daycare bill this month. And you know what? I'm going to do it every month going forward. (laughs) So yes, you know, kids can be a challenge, but they can also be a motivator for you to push yourself to come up with ideas you never would have thought of because those constraints give you clarity.
1: I tell everybody my kid has made me more money because exactly the same reason. I, I, you know, when I first had my kid and shortly thereafter, I became a single mom and I was like, how am I going to do this? And then I just figured it out and and my kid the the 3 years after my kid was born I made the most money I've ever that's made awesome. and I I really believe it was him so let's talk to let's talk about to the audience about how I mean you you have such great advice I want to get I want to talk I love your stories so I want to talk about you but I want them to take information you talk a lot about how to get clients you just said it how do you go get clients I think that's the scariest part for an entrepreneur is okay I'm great how do I now get people to think I'm great and hire me
0: Yeah. Good question. So I'll give you the path that I took and that has worked for several of my clients as well. It's this. It's volunteering to do speaking events for organizations that already have access to your audience. And I'll give you a very clear example of that. Uh, When I first started my business, I spent two weeks emailing members of the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. So a local organization that supports entrepreneurship. Got nothing from that whatsoever, right? Nothing at all. But then I reached out to the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce and said, hey, I'm a digital marketing expert. That's what I did back then. I would love to lead a free uh, workshop for your members, Digital Marketing for Founders. What do you say? They said yes, promoted me to their list of thousands of people and gave me a room to deliver the talk in. I show up, there's 60 people there waiting to hear me speak. And I was like, holy cow, I couldn't even get one person to reply to an email, (laughs) but 60 people are in the room right now. 10 of them had a bunch of questions afterwards, four of them became clients. And that's when I realized, well, hell, if you want to get clients, you got to, first of all, build your credibility. But the easiest way to do that is by speaking. And if you can speak on behalf of an organization that already has access to your audience, you're in a good spot. So what I did is I started going to other organizations. So it could be co-working spaces, libraries, organizations like that, delivering the same speech over and over and over and over again but that's how i got clients mm. so sure there are plenty of other ways but i know this is free it's effective <laughs> and it works at scale and that's that's uh that's what i re- recommend for other people as well
1: well you also talk a lot about who is your audience and figuring that out as you go and then what and then getting research from your audience about what they want
0: yeah yeah let me give you another one on that so when you are, when again, like pretend you are doing the speaking event, when you get done, you're going to ask everyone to fill out a survey, and that survey is going to ask a few questions. The first one's going to be basic: Did you get value from this this talk? Yes or no. Another one is: Would you be interested in having me speak here again? Here are some topics that you can choose from, and the last one is: Would you like me to help you based on the topic that we discussed today? So what I want you to do is take the results from that survey, go back to the organizer and say, hey, look, first of all, people want me back and they want me to talk about this topic. Can we book something for next month? And again, anyone who says, yes, I want your help, you're going to follow up with them directly, book a sales call, and all of a sudden you're swimming in money and getting your daycare paid for. (laughs) So that's all you really have to do.
1: So you really, but to do that, let's, let's just go back. You have to have clarity about what it is you're teaching that you're good at. Yeah. So your skills you have to align with that. Then you offer yourself for free, and you find low-hanging fruit organizations. By the way, I've done very similar things uh, in, in 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 sort of the Latino world and the Black world and the Asian world because I knew that my my book spoke to the, to the, the community. So I went to all the chambers of commerce. And you're right, you it's a multiplying effect, right? And then from those things, whoever really dug you. Is going to come in and be your client so it's genius but you have to put in the time in the beginning but did you when you were doing all that did you get scared because a lot of people that it wasn't going to work out or that what what's the next move or did you have money saved in order to do all that
0: i didn't have a lot of money saved i had some but it doesn't matter how much runway you have when you're not making any traction you're going to get scared right so i'll just say that to start um and i was scared but i think What you need to do is just find someone who's on the same path as you, yet a few steps ahead, and just follow their lead. Because then you know, hey, this can work. The only variable is me. And I'm gonna make sure that I'm not the one who messes up the process by being very clear on who my audience is, what their pain points are, and the solution I have for them. So that's why I always say like, it's it's challenging, but it doesn't have to be confusing because you can find other people for guidance, for mentoring, just as an example of what is possible and then you'll know, like, this This isn't something I'm just making up, right? It's a process I'm following. I'm going to make it my own. But there's a good chance I will find success if I go on this path.
1: And you came up with this acronym, ACTION, about kind of how to run your business. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad you did the research, too. Um, but <laughs> this this action plan literally is the blueprint for you making money based on your zone of genius. And the very first thing I want you to do is start with audits. That's what the A stands for. And you know your job, you know, in and out, but other people that you're consulting wouldn't. So what you would say is, all right, what is the step-by-step process they should use to find success in whatever they want to accomplish? Maybe it's optimizing their email campaigns. What's step one, two, three, four, five. You're going to write down what each of these steps are and then offer that as an audit, identifying areas of opportunity and perhaps correction based on what they're doing. And the fun part of that is, When you're doing an audit, it's not a long-term engagement. It doesn't matter how successful or how big the company is. You're just there for a couple of weeks and you're gone. They could have an internal team who's doing this stuff, so you don't have to worry about competing with them. You're just doing that, showing them their blind spots and opportunities, and you're on your merry way. But the benefit of having this audit set up is it sets the foundation for the next step, which is consulting. And that's, again, based on your zone of genius and going through that process. How can I help people improve their outcomes through consulting? After that, training. Maybe you're like, hey, here's what you can do to improve your outcomes. They're like, we have no idea how to do that. Cool. I'll teach you how to do it. I will train you how to do email marketing, how to set up your campaigns, all this other stuff, because you need the knowledge necessary to actually implement what we talked about during the consulting phase. After that, what about Leon? Um, I. Okay. <laughs> the I stands for implementation, helping them implement the tools, So these are
1: all opportunities to make money once you're in the door is what you're saying.
0: There you go. Yeah. So you're helping them implement things. It could be bringing on a new team. It could be doing a new tool, whatever it is. Second to last step is the O stands for ongoing retainers. You absolutely have to have a way to increase the lifetime value of a client. So don't just say, I'll do this one project and I'm gone. Offer an ongoing retainer, meaning you can ask me questions throughout the month. On an ongoing basis and that way you lock in monthly recurring revenue which feels great when you don't know when your next paycheck's coming from <laughs> so you want to make sure you have that and the last one's the most flexible part it's just new opportunities it's you thinking of new ways to serve the same client uh for example one of my clients actually started a podcast on their behalf because they want to spread the word through through audio so that was a new opportunity so that's action a-c-t-i-o-n Start with the audit, then you can do anything else after that, but start with the audit because that's the hardest part, but it forms the foundation for the service that you're going to provide.
1: So let's talk about doing exactly that, but within, let's say, a corporation, because mm-hmm. there's so many opportunities in a corporation. Do you find that, the, what is the best way to market to a corporation so that in a way they find you? Is it doing social media and YouTube channel kind of stuff? What would be someone's best way? Because those people have the biggest contracts. And when I saw your whole action thing, I go, that's when you get into a corporation, they don't like change. So once you're in, you could go down your action steps and they'll give you more business. So it, it behooves us to get in the door, but it's hard to get inside a corporation. So what do you recommend?
0: I recommend, yes, social media is great, especially to build your personal brand, but you have to do it right. And by that, I mean, you want to create content that answers a question your audience has. So I normally mm. say, just write down 10 questions that your audience has, and then solve them with your content, And at the end of that post, let's say it's on LinkedIn, say, hey, do you have any questions about this? DM me, I'm happy to chat. So that's one way to start the process, but you're also just hoping the right person sees your content. You're hoping they reach out to you. And hope is not a strategy, unfortunately. Oh, let's write
1: that one down.
0: (laughs) So you, you gotta do some real biz dev. And what I would say is make a list of 40 companies that you wanna work with for one reason or another. But then again, if we're talking about social media, Find stakeholders from that company that are active on platforms like LinkedIn, and I want you to follow them. I want you to engage with every single post they have out there. And when you engage with a post, don't just say 100 or facts, like say something relevant, valuable, and ask a question when you comment. Mm. The reason why I want you to ask a question is because if they reply to that, great. Now you're having a conversation. You're going back and forth. That conversation can eventually lead to a DM, which leads to a Zoom meeting. Six months later, there you go. You got your first client just through this approach. It takes strategic patience, but if you use this approach as opposed to just cold DMing people or cold emailing people, you will grow and you'll grow with people that you actually want to interact with <laughs> because you know their personality through these initial uh, exchanges that you have.
1: I mean, a lot of us feel like if you do social media or whatever, build it and they will come. Like they will come to you. And you're saying- That's not a good strategy. It's like hoping somebody finds you on a dating app.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, we can say that for another conversation. But but, um, if you're brand new, you don't have a lot of followers and you're not reaching a lot of people, right? You're going to put up a post that's going to reach four people. You're going to be disappointed and give up. So if you're brand new, you can't rely just on your personal brand. You have to do that biz dev, like I said. However, it is beneficial because when that person you know, sees your comment or your DM, when they do research on you, they'll get to know, like, and trust you. But you might have to initiate this interaction by following them, by engaging with them, and then eventually going ahead and having a conversation.
1: Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. let's get back to the show. Well, you talk a lot about also not giving up and that it is going to be not easy. Uh, Can you talk more about that? Because I do think since I talk to so many entrepreneurs too, you know, they think it's going to happen quick. And when it doesn't, especially when social media is so quick, um, then everybody gets disappointed and goes, oh my God, what have I done?
0: Yeah, I think You do want to manage your expectations, but you can make it easier to get these yeses faster just by following some of the things I'm talking about. So making sure you have a good offer is part of it, which we haven't gone too deep into, but your offer needs to first state your audience's dream outcome. So if you go to one of my landing pages, it says, I'm going to help you build your irresistible offer so you can attract high paying clients in just 30 days. So that's a good offer. But if I say, I help you build your business. You're like, what the hell does that mean? Right. So the more effort you put into creating an offer, so good people would feel foolish saying no, the faster you'll grow. So again, that's why it's it's almost upsetting that people start with social media and they're like reaching out to people. I'm like, first of all, no one knows who you are. Second of all, you're not ready to absorb the attention yet because you don't have a good offer. So you have to do that again, that deep work to think, okay, who's my audience? What are their problems? What are the frustrations they have? Because even on the landing page for that offer, you're going to say, do you have this problem? Maybe it's this one. Perhaps it's this. Either way, I can help. Here's how. So you want to do storytelling. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because far too many people focus on the process they have as opposed to the outcomes they want to deliver. So if you just start there, you'll have much better results and you'll grow faster.
1: Okay, one of the things I love that you talk about is testimonials, and I felt kind of stupid <laughs> because you know I've toured the whole country, I have a lot of great, te- and I've never used my testimonials. And I go, God, what a waste, what a like, you know. So talk a little bit about that, about when you go and speak or when you go and do something, getting somebody to, to endorse you basically.
0: Yeah, those testimonials are important because they build your credibility and they accelerate the process of getting a yes. But if you're brand new, you're like, dude, I don't I don't have any clients. How do I do this? So what I would say is going back to those free events we talked about, afterwards, anyone who gives you a glowing, glowing feedback, say, hey, you know, thanks. I really appreciate that. By the way, one way I grow is by testimonials like yours. Would you mind just summarizing this in a quick paragraph and sending that over to me? So you you're just gonna ask people after you get positive feedback, it's always the best time, right? Because you're going to say, can you just summarize what you said to me in in the form of a testimonial? I'd really appreciate it. And what you might also want to do is maybe bullet point a few things they can mention, because you want to make it as easy as possible for them to do so. So It's like
1: getting a blurb in your book. You want a blurb about how great you are as a teacher or as a coach or whatever, so you can get more business. And I thought that was such such an obvious thing that we don't tend to do.
0: And I think there's an apprehension about around it because you're afraid the person is going to say no, but there's this really cool study from uh, Texas Tech University that revealed 84% of people are willing to give a referral or a testimonial after a positive experience, but only 30% do. And the same survey revealed that only 29% of companies have an active referral and testimonial program. <laughs> Therefore, we see where the gap is. You're not asking for it. Wow. And I know it can be tough because you're going to feel vulnerable, But if you ask, the answer will be yes or no. If you don't ask, the answer will definitely be no. So you need to ask and to see what happens.
1: You also talk a lot about a a solopreneur's workflow, that that's another issue that we all have. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, I think as a solopreneur, first of all, you feel like you have to do everything all the time. And you feel like you should be doing something all the time because if you're not, you're not making money. But I I related to that, but that is the path to burnout, right? So you have to structure Uh your day in a way where you're doing your best work at the best time while also maintaining your mental and physical health. And I'll explain what that means for me. On my end, I'm most creative between 430 and 12 p.m. So 430 a.m. to like noon. That's when I'm most creative. So I'll get up early and start writing content before my kids wake up because that way I can get that out of my head. I then drop them off around like 8 o'clock and I go right to the gym. So I'm at the gym every day between 8.30 and around 10 or so because when I worked corporate, I was not in good shape. (laughs) I was just getting all the free lunch, all the free dinner. And when I first started my company, I was neglecting my health. So I'm like, I'm never doing that again. I schedule my work around my my health. And then I also don't normally take any kind of client meetings before around, let's say, 2 o'clock because i'm still doing my creative work and my biz dev work earlier in the day so you just knowing when you're most creative when you can do when you're most likely to do critical thinking work is beneficial because you can schedule your day around that i know some people who want to start their day interacting with people and clients and end their day with the the more admin work i'm the other way around because it's, it doesn't it doesn't feel right to me but just knowing when you're in your zone and just fiercely protecting it is so important and i would also one issue that we'll have is they don't look for help sooner. By that, I mean a virtual assistant, because for just five mm. bucks a month, you can find a virtual assistant who takes these for admins, how much? as low as I mean, it's even cheaper than that, but 500 bucks a month. If you got that, you can get a good virtual assistant and you can stop wasting time on action items that waste your time, energy, and talent by outsourcing them to somebody else.
1: You're just so full of information. I love you. Okay. The, you talked about your ideal lifestyle as you go. And how do you, in spite of all this, create an ideal lifestyle? And a lot of it is what you said earlier, which is, you know, what do you want your life to look like? But then the reality of what you're doing sets in, right? And so how do you still turn this, turn the corner here of having too much to do and being, 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 being uh, doing instead of being?
0: You know what's interesting is it really hit me the other day when i was helping my daughter with her homework because math is mm-hmm. different from how you and i learned it years ago it's like mm-hmm. i'm not gonna get into it because it's too complicated but i was like why is second grade math so hard why am i spending so much time on it and then it hit me shoot i got three more kids behind her they're gonna have homework they're gonna need my help too so evenings are gonna be very busy and i have to be on it right i have to be aware i have to be engaged so on and so forth So just knowing that I realized I need even more passive revenue streams for my business or else I won't have time for homework, right? So as you see these things coming up, you have to be present and realize, okay, look, this is what's happening and I can avoid challenges downstream by addressing it now.
1: So you talk a lot about mindset that really that's the whole shebang. We can talk about all this, but when your mindset's not right, it's not right. It's hard because we haven't had role models of good mindset. That's why I love hearing you because your mind is right. It's right, and 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 I, you know, I think it's because we all we both exercise too. That exercising every day really helps. Um, but talk about mindset and the importance of that.
0: I didn't really get into the whole mindset thing until a few years ago, to be honest, because I was one of those guys who's like, look, just give me the nuts and bolts, right? Just let me know what actions and tools I have to f- do to find success. But on my end, I went through some challenges uh, just with with my family, just some deaths in my family that really set me back uh, in 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 a lot of things, right? My entrepreneurial career, just personal life, and I started searching for for answers and for help. And that's when I got into stoicism to an extent by reading like Ryan Holiday books. But then I stumbled across this guy, uh, Dr. Michael Gervais, who's a high performance psychologist. He works with a lot of big mm-hmm. brands. I love yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, he's a cool guy. We're, we're now we're now friends. I came across his work and just saw how training your mind was so vital to success because he always says there's only three things as humans we can train. We can train our craft, what we do for work, we can train our body, and we can train our mind. We spend way too much time on the first two and not nearly enough (laughs) on the last. And that's when I realized that just having the right mindset really was crucial to success. And I noticed I went through three stages of my mindset as an entrepreneur. I started off with a scarcity mindset, thinking, look, I have to charge less in order to get more clients. I'm competing against everyone. And if I don't charge a low low amount, I'm not going to win anything, right? So ripping myself off. Eventually, I realized, hey, this is actually not a good idea and moved on to what I would call a growth mindset, where you're challenging yourself to do things you've never done before, getting on bigger stages, having bigger asks of yourself and other people. And that's how you ascend further. But the last step and the one that I just never want to get off of is an exponential mindset. So instead of thinking I want to grow by 10% this year or 15%, you're thinking, how can I grow by 10x by just blowing up my current revenue model or creating a new one and finding even greater achievement from that? So that mindset is so crucial because I can give you all the information to be successful, but if you're when you're implementing, it, if you're like, oh man, that's tough. It's because you need mindset training. <laughs> that's why. So it's not just the nuts and bolts that matter. It's also the mindset behind it.
1: You're right. I I love also that you are always looking for teachers and people smarter than you, greater than you. That become and and, and I always say that to my son. Don't hang out with lower acquaintances. Like always be like surround yourself with people that challenge you. And you all you talked a lot about you know, which isn't your theory, but this guy that you that you follow, Darren Hardy, and the whole compounding idea and compounding sometimes pain that goes to... Can you talk about that? I thought that was so great and how you use it in your own life. I think it's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. The compact effect essentially saying there's these small actions that you can do consistently that will yield amazing results over time. I'm going to share an embarrassing personal story about that first, and then we can go into business. But After my son Trevor was born, he's now three years old, I got in a bad habit of eating almost a pint of ice cream every night, like every night consistently down in a pint. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of stressed out because I got three kids now, so on and so forth. Unfortunately, that continued for three years. (laughs) And... I was never like overweight. If you looked at me, it's like, okay, the guy's doing okay. But once I quit eating ice cream just three months ago, I lost 15 pounds, right? So I went from 230 to two. It was a lot of calories. Yeah, yeah. So that's the compound effect of eating ice cream consistently for three years and then not eating it. That's that's the compound effect. But it's also in regards to relationships, right? Just not just building your network, which everyone wants to do. It's also nurturing your network. So just once in a while dropping yeah. in saying, Hey, Morgan, how are you doing with this? Hey, Morgan, I saw you're doing this thing. Hey, Morgan, by the way, you know, happy birthday, whatever it is. And over time, that will compound in goodwill. It'll compound into leads coming your way and also support. And I think that's what people, why people need that strategic patience I keep on talking about, because otherwise you won't leverage the compound effect because you're coming off as kind of thirsty, to be honest. So yeah, just think about those actions you can do consistently. Maybe it's like like Jerry Seinfeld has the thing, like don't break the chain, right? Commit to doing one habit every day, put an X on the calendar every day you do it and don't break the chain. That's the compound effect.
1: Yeah, I really, listening to you about that made me realize what like my blind spot is, and, and it really kind of, I need to hire you as my coach, yeah. because I realize, like, I know, like, I've been in so many worlds, because I've been in, you know, television, and I've been in the Latino world. I, I'm a psychologist. And I, I, so I've met everyone on the planet, and I have so many contacts, but I have very bad memory for people. And I, I realized that years ago, I had this person, it was my assistant, Diana, who had who has perfect memory and you know it's almost like like uh, the devil wears Prada she would say to me that's so-and-so you met them here this is what they do because I could never I I have a problem connecting sometimes a face I know I know you but the name and the face because I meet so many people and I feel like I have wasted so many years of contacts because I have this like blind spot and so when in listening to you I realized I've just almost been like sweeping that blind spot under the rug. And I keep thinking, why couldn't I have gotten kept Diana my whole life? But it's crazy. I got to find something to fix that.
0: Yeah. And and I don't want to make it too clinical. But one thing you can do is just set up your CRM like HubSpot to put your personal contacts in there and then commit to reaching out to 10 people per week. That's all you got to do. Maybe five people, whatever it is. But make that part of your workflow to nurture Mm. your network.
1: See, I need you, I need you.
0: Well, you know where to find me.
1: <laughs> you are just phenomenal. And I'm just, I'm proud of you. I'm just proud of you and honored to have met you. I'm so glad we're here together.
0: Yeah, I am too. And my, my wife Dominique happens to be a Latina. And when she heard a child, I was talking to you. She's like, you gotta ask her this, you gotta say that, you gotta say this, so. Your wife is Latina, where is she from? Well, she was born in San Francisco, but she's Nicaraguan.
1: Ah, Nicaraguanza, they're the best. I agree. <laughs> Wonderful. So you have you have you have kids that are mixed. They're gonna be. They must be gorgeous.
0: Yeah, I'll send you some pictures afterwards because they. I get stopped in the street. I'm not trying to be like, like cocky or anything, but I get stopped in the street by how good looking my kids are.
1: Oh no, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, it is a delight to know you, and I'm. We're gonna talk after this.
0: Would love to. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nellie Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.